Belt Baptist Church, and we appreciate you all so much, all that God is doing here in your midst, and uh, I want to say we're very grateful for your support and your encouragement over the past two years, and it has been two years since we've been here, and uh, it seems like it's been in some ways five or six years, and in other ways it uh, feels like such a short time, but we know that uh, in God's economy, uh, we've already begun our eternal existence with Christ and in Christ, and that's an amazing thought. And uh, sometimes I regret uh, missed opportunities for fellowship or uh, friendships we've had to leave behind for a short time, but we comfort ourselves with the fact that uh, we uh, aren't really missing out on anything because one day we're going to be in heaven together, and uh, the Lord uh, is going to just uh, give us that eternity not only to fellowship with himself, but with one another. And uh, that's been a great comfort to our family as we've uh, mourned the loss of our father and uh, husband. I'm so thankful to have my mother with me this morning. And um, she's been such an encouragement to me as she's faced this trial very bravely. And I want to say thank you to each one of you for your support and encouragement, not only for my brother-in-law, Daryl, my sister, Holly, and their family, but also my mother, and I've heard the different stories of how uh, this church was such a blessing. And uh, it was a comfort to me to know that there were uh, God's people here standing with my family when I could not come home for the funeral. And uh, God made the decision very easy on me. There were no flights coming back at all. And uh, we wanted to be here. Uh, but as we watched the funeral online and uh, just saw how God's people came together and different ones were such a blessing to my mother, to our family, uh, it it comforted my heart, and I just want to say thank you once again publicly for how uh, you all were such a blessing to the Ritchie family. And we know that Dad is, uh, uh, he, he, would, he wouldn't really want to come back uh, if he had the option, and we know that he's in a better place and he's rejoicing, but uh, we miss him. And so continue to pray for our family, continue to pray for my mother, if you would, and uh, we know that God is going to take care of us. I believe it's just a little bit longer before the trumpet will sound and the Lord will return. And so as Pastor said, we need to be busy about the things of God. We need to be busy serving the Lord. Uh, as we uh, left, we were taking a special uh, departure flight from Mongolia. And uh, we really didn't know at the time and still don't completely when God would allow us to go back. And uh, we, we believe that uh, in the next few months, things will begin to open up. Uh, however, uh, as I was uh, taking a taxi ride uh, through the center of town, just taking care of some errands before we flew out the next day, I saw this uh, woman sitting beside the road. I'm sorry, I might be a little bit cry this morning. I've just been feeling a bit emotional. And... Um, I saw this woman, she, was, she had a scale sitting out on the sidewalk, and sometimes people will do this, and um, they're, they're basically begging. They'll weigh you, and then you give them a, a gift. And uh, I, we were paused at a light. I was looking at the wrinkles on her face, and I, I um, relate to what Pastor Hovey was saying because I thought, what if I don't get a chance to give her the gospel? What if she never has... And I had to ask the Lord to forgive me because I've gotten so busy with the uh, streaming of our church and all the online stuff that we've had to go through. And it's been such a difficult time of ministry. And I know you all have faced that here as well. 
and just the logistics and the things that we've had to learn to do to serve God, to uh, preach His Word, to have some kind of church online. And it's so easy to get away from the importance of and the urgency of the gospel and the importance that, that we need to dedicate ourselves anew to the Lord and we need to take every opportunity because time is short. Seems like everything has changed in the world today and I can't describe what's happened. I just know things have changed. However, we know that there is one who is changeless, he's eternal, and he is our hope. And so this morning as we open his word and as we, um, we seek God, let's remember that God's word, God's ways, and God himself never, ever change. I'm so thankful for that. If you will, turn with me to the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 5. And we're going to just read uh, four verses here at the end of the chapter, uh, rather three, uh, 13 through 15, and that's what I would like to take as my text today. And I just want to ask a simple question, am I on God's side? And I'd like to ask that question of you, are you on God's side? God wants us to be on His side this morning. In every trial, in every difficulty, in everything that we face, we need to be with Him. Sometimes we want God to be on our side. We want God to stand with us. But God wants us to ask ourselves the question this morning, am I on God's side? Let's read these verses and then we'll pray and ask the Lord's blessing on the reading of His Word. Joshua chapter 5 and verse 13 says, And it came to pass, when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And he said, Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. Once again, we just praise your name for churches like this all across the world. We thank you for founding the church. We thank you that it's a place of fellowship. It's also a place of decision. I pray that today as this church body has welcomed our family in, as they've gathered to hear your word, that you would use me, that you'd speak through me, Lord, that you would use this text to bring us to a point of decision about our lives. And Lord, maybe in some time past we've made the decision to be on God's side, and yet in the busyness of life, in secret failures of sin, in times of discouragement. We find ourselves wanting God to be on our side, and I pray that you would teach us the difference this morning, that you'd help us to make the decision that Joshua did, that by faith we would claim this passage, and that in this truth we would have great confidence in a day of difficulty and trouble. Lord, please use every word that I will speak and make it a blessing, like the loaves and fishes. Bless it, 
and break it and multiply it to your people. We ask this morning, for it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You know, everyone wants uh, the best on their side. Uh, let's say that you uh, end up in a legal controversy. You want the very best lawyer on your side, don't you? Um, every time we come back to the States, I marvel at all of the, uh, the, you know, the ambulance chasers. I'm sorry if there's any uh, lawyers here, and, and, and there's nothing that I have against lawyers. But uh, there was this one fellow, I was at the store the other day, and there's a big advertisement, and uh, there's this uh, older man with a sledgehammer. And it didn't even say what he was, but everybody knew, okay? He was in a suit and tie. He had a sledgehammer, and there was a, a number and his name. And everybody knows if you need a sledgehammer, you need to call this guy, and he's going to get you some money, or he's going to uh, help you when you need some help. And uh, we won't debate this, uh, this morning uh, the validity of some of those tactics and things, but uh, when you're in trouble, you want a good attorney on your side. You don't want that attorney to be on someone else's side, do you? Uh, I think of sports, and I'm not a, a great fan of football, but some of you probably are. And uh, when it comes time for the draft pick, you want the best on your team, don't you? You want the best to be on your side, and uh, you hope that uh, the dream team gets put together, that winning season, they go all the way to the uh, Super Bowl. That's your hope and your dream, because you want to be on the winning side. You want your team to have the very best people. As I was thinking about this, I uh, remembered a time when I was young. We went to Ozark Christian Academy, and uh, you know I was in the uh, second grade. And, and uh, during uh, recess, they probably don't let you play these kind of games anymore because, as I think back, uh, there were a few bloody noses and there were some uh, problems. Okay, but on the playground, we would play something called Red Rover. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Okay, there we go. So Red Rover, Red Rover, send somebody right over, okay? And then they would run as hard as they could, uh, for those of you who haven't played this, and we can play it after church. Uh, would that be okay, Brother Hovey? And uh, they run it, and, and I'll, I'll be on your team, and I'll help you win, okay? But uh, they would send that person running as fast as they could to the other team, and you're holding hands, and they try to break through the hands, right? And uh, I remember when we would play Red Rover, Red Rover, we wanted to have this one particular kid named Levi, on our team. And Levi was in grade school, but Levi looked like he was a high school linebacker. And he just, uh, he was a big guy. And whoever could get Levi on their team, they were bound to, to make some progress. And when the other team had to say, Red Rover, Red Rover, send Levi right over. Everybody worried. And in fact, most of the time, people would just let go of their hands. They didn't want to even try to stop Levi. Everybody wanted Levi on their team. I think we understand what we're talking about this morning. We want the best on our side. And Joshua was no different in our story. We see that he wanted God to be on his side. He wanted this, this uh, lone soldier to be on his side. And he was worried about which side everybody was on. And sometimes we get caught up in that. But I'm here to tell you this morning, it's not so important who's on your side as whose side you're on. God wants you and me to be on his side, and if we're on his side, we're on the winning team. Joshua was trying to defeat Jericho, and we see Joshua here perhaps in the dusk. I believe it was late because he wasn't able to recognize the person that he saw, but here he was, uh, perhaps alone. I believe he was alone, uh, and he was uh, uh, perhaps partly concealed in the bushes, 
And, and I picture him meditating on the walls of Jericho, and he's just probably in despair. Because at this point, he doesn't know how they're going to defeat this great city. And in fact, some scholars believe that Jericho might have been the most fortified city. It was certainly a chief city, and it was the protector of the gateway into the promised land. Now, this year in, in uh, Hanul Baptist Church there in Mongolia, we've uh, been in a series from the book of Joshua called Possessing the Promises. And God wants you and me this morning to possess all of the promises that we have in this book. All of this is ours, and the Bible says that the promises of God in Christ Jesus are yea and amen, and it doesn't matter what's going on in the world with COVID, it doesn't matter who's in the White House, it doesn't matter how difficult things may seem in your family, it doesn't matter what you're facing in your health and in your finances, I'm here to tell you this morning that God wants you to possess some spiritual promises and God wanted them to possess their promises as well. The people have been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Moses, in disobeying God, had to uh, leave them behind just before they crossed the Jordan. And here is Joshua, this younger man, an experienced man, but a new commander-in-chief, and he's trying to figure out how he's going to win this first battle of the campaign. And in the dusk and in the darkness, he's sitting here staring at these gigantic walls surrounding Jericho. And it's at that moment, perhaps when he's a little on edge, perhaps when he's uh, feeling a little inadequate, that he sees this figure off to the side and he strides over, loosing his sword from the sheath and says, are you for us or are you for them? God asks him this question. No, it's not whose side I'm. Are you on my side? And I think God's asking us this question this morning. Now listen, in the church sometimes we face this. Uh, sometimes we face this in families where we're trying to pick sides and get everybody on my side or their side, and God doesn't want that. Uh, Paul had to warn the Corinthians about this, 1 Corinthians 1, 12 and 13. Now this I say that every one of you saith, I'm of Paul, I'm of Paulus, and I'm of Cephas, and I'm of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were ye baptized in the name of Paul? Jesus saith unto him, uh, in John 21, 22, uh, remember this same thing happened to the disciples. Jesus saith unto Peter, unto him, if I will that he tarry till I come, what is it that to thee? Follow thou me. You remember the story of Jesus with his disciples after his resurrection. They're on the Sea of Galilee and, and they're cooking the fish on the fire. He's talking with Peter about his future role in the church. And Peter looks over to John and he says, well, what about him? And Jesus said, don't worry about that. You worry about following me. You worry about following me and being on my side. God's dealing with us in this way. In order to possess the promises of God, in order to be used of God as the disciples were, in order for uh, God's church to grow, we have to choose to be on God's side first and foremost. And that's what God was placing before Joshua, this decision. In order to possess the promises, we must choose whose side we're on. I want us to see three things this morning from this passage that will help us make some good decisions and have the blessings of God. First of all, I want us to see Joshua's dilemma. Joshua's dilemma. Uh, I looked up a dilemma and uh, this is the definition that I like. It says, uh, a choice between two undesirable alternatives. Have you ever been in a dilemma before? Uh, you don't know whether to go forward or whether to go back. 
You don't know whether to go right or whether to go left. You don't know whether to make this one decision or make the other. You're in a dilemma. Actually, this word comes from the Greek, and uh, it's really uh, a reference to uh, Odysseus and his Scylla and and, uh, Charybdis. And uh, from that, we get that uh, phrase, between a rock and a hard place, right? And uh, we all find ourselves between a rock and a hard place sometimes. Um, my wife growing up had a friend who would always uh, get her mixer metaphors and get her, her terms all wrong. And, and uh, she would say, uh, I feel like I'm between a rock and a fireplace. And you know what? Sometimes we are. Sometimes we're between two undesirable alternatives. And that's where Joshua was. Joshua had the Jordan River behind him, and he had Jericho in front of him. He had stepped out by faith, and here he was stuck. He could not go back. He could not go forward. Remember, Jordan was overflowing all its banks. God made a way through, but God didn't give him an escape route. Here Joshua is between these two things, wondering how he's going to get ahead, and maybe that's you this morning. God's people sometimes find themselves in dilemmas. During the last two years, we've uh, been in that situation time after time. And the things that we thought we knew and the the ways that we thought we could minister and our plans that we had set in place uh, just shattered to pieces. And as we found ourselves in a situation that we did not desire and we were in that dilemma, God came through every single time. But let's look at the dilemma that, uh, that Joshua was in. First of all, he was in a dilemma of danger, a dilemma of danger. He couldn't take the flocks and the herds and the little children back across Jordan if things went south, but he couldn't pass on into the promised land without defeating Jericho. Uh, There was no way to go around this enemy. There was no way to pass on and take Ai first before he took Jericho. He was in a dilemma of danger. We have the example of the, the apostle Paul. Uh, in this regard, 1 Corinthians 16, 9. Uh, Paul said, For a great door and effectual is open unto me, and there are many adversaries. As Paul went on his missionary journey, as he followed the Lord, as he walked in the will of God, many times he faced a great dilemma. He said there were many adversaries. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5. He said, When we were coming to Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were troubled, what? On every side. Without were fightings, within were fears. Have you been there before? Have you been in that place of dilemma? And there's danger all around. And if you make this financial decision, you might fail. And if you make that financial decision, you might fail. And you just don't know what to do. This is where Joshua was. He was in a dilemma of danger. 2 Corinthians 4.8, Paul elaborates. He says, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Why? Because Paul knew that Jesus Christ is the answer to every dilemma. 2 Corinthians 6, 4 and 5, But in all things, approving ourselves as the ministers of God, in much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in watchings, in fastings. Can you relate to Paul's experience this morning? And I'm here to tell you, Paul was in the will of God, but sometimes we find ourselves in the will of God facing a dilemma, a dilemma of danger, and we don't know what we should do. I think of the example of David. David also faced those times, didn't he? He said this in Psalm 38, verse 19, but mine enemies are lively. Do you have some lively enemies? And it seems like they run rings around you. They're very enlivened. They're very aggressive. And they're trying to 
reproach you. They're trying to afflict you. And he went on to say, and they are strong, and they that hate me wrongfully are multiplied. I've been there before in a dilemma of danger. And I don't know your life this morning, but I'm here to say that if you're in a dilemma of danger, you are not in a strange or unique place. God's people find themselves there many times. Later on, David would say in that uh, chapter, Psalm 38, Forsake me not, O Lord my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. Maybe you're crying out in this difficult situation, and you say, I relate to Joshua. I need God on my side. I'm in a dilemma of danger. Joshua was not just in a dilemma of danger. He was in a dilemma of direction. Here he was, this inexperienced general, this commander-in-chief, who needed to know what the next step was. He needed to know when to plan the attack and when they should go up. Would it be at dusk? Would it be at dawn? Uh, Would they go from the east or from the west? He was in a dilemma of direction. He had to face decisiveness or delay. Are you there this morning? Maybe there's a big decision in front of you, and you just don't know what you should do. You feel like you're in this dilemma of direction. Joshua was there as well. We see other heroes of the faith who face this dilemma of direction in the Word of God. We see the example of Gideon. Remember Gideon? We reproach him because, uh, uh, you know, he had to have God tell him four different times uh, to do the same thing. We say, oh, Gideon, you don't have much faith. But if you were going up against the Midianites who were like the sands of the sea, they were like locusts and grasshoppers, and God only told you that you could take 300 men, I think you'd be asking for uh, another sign. I think you'd be asking for a little more confirmation. And uh, Gideon was in this dilemma of decision. And he said, God, I'm going to put this fleece out. And, and I just want you to make the fleece wet and the ground dry. And God did that. An amazing miracle. But it wasn't good enough for Gideon. He said, God, I'm so sorry, but I need a little bit more conversa- com- confirmation here. This time I want you to make the fleece dry and the ground wet. And God did that. God wasn't rewarding his faithlessness. God was confirming to him, Gideon, I've called you, and I'm going to bring you through. But Gideon, he was facing this this dilemma of direction in his life. I think of the disciples. We heard about Jesus uh, and uh, his uh, uh, discourse on the way to the garden there, uh, 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 Mount of Olives, and uh, in, in that same general passage, John 14, he starts to talk about heavenly things. And uh, uh, he said, uh, you know where I'm going and, and you, you know the way. And Thomas said unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, Now, how can we know the way? They were in the dilemma of decision. Here Jesus is talking about going away and leaving them. And uh, they said, you know, we just don't know what we should do. And Jesus responded, what did he say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. And when you're in a dilemma of decision, Jesus Christ is the one that's going to bring you through. We're going to see in just a moment that Jesus Christ was the one who personally guided and directed Joshua. Psalm 73, verse 24, Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. Psalm 18, 32 and 33, It is God that girdeth me with strength, and maketh my way perfect. He maketh my feet like hinds feet, and setteth me upon my high places. If you're here this morning, and you're saying, God, I'm in a dilemma of direction, I need your help. I I feel like Joshua, just wondering how we should do this, and what way we should go. I have good news for you. God is there for you. And he's going to help you through your time of difficulty. 
We see that Joshua was not only in a dilemma of uh, danger and a dilemma of direction, but we also see he, he was in a dilemma of division. Joshua was worried about who was on whose side. Sometimes we face that, don't we? Joshua didn't know whether to join this uh, silent warrior or to fight him. I'm reminded of other examples in Scripture. This is a lot like Jacob. Remember Jacob? Jacob didn't know what he was going to do. He was in a dilemma of danger. He was in a dilemma of decision. He was in a dilemma of division. And he's jumped by this uh, person in the dark, and he begins to wrestle with the angel of the Lord. But as he recognizes who this is, that he's actually wrestling with deity, instead of trying to push him away, he begins to grab onto him and hold on to him and say, I won't let you go until you bless me. And Joshua is facing the same thing. Whose side am I on? God says, you need to be on my side. There were some divisions in the church at Corinth. What did Paul say? He said, the answer is Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.2, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Why? Because Jesus is the great unifier. And when uh, we face the dilemma of division, God, who should I side with? Who's telling me the truth? What should I believe? Just get on Jesus' side. And Jesus will help you through. He will help us during that dilemma of division. And so here we find Joshua. He is in a time of dilemma. But I'm so glad the story doesn't end there. We also see Joshua's discovery. Joshua's dilemma was perplexing, but Joshua's discovery is encouraging. Uh, We see, first of all, that he discovered deity. Uh, I love the passage of Scripture where troubles are turned into triumphs because God was hiding in the mist. Have you been there before? Uh, The fog of war, spiritual warfare I'm speaking of, and and we faced that in Mongolia the last two years, and times when you just had to get your head down and keep doing what you knew was right. You didn't see how this was going to end. Uh, We've been in lockdown uh, for three quarters of the last year and a half. Um, and when I say lockdown, at times we weren't even able to leave our home, and we're just broadcasting online, hoping that people are listening, hoping that people's needs are taken care of, people in horrible situations. One family uh, had to go to the hospital. All of them had COVID. Uh, moms in one hospital on oxygen. Dad and the husband of the, the, the son, son-in-law is in another hospital. The daughter who just happened to be ready to deliver her baby when they all tested positive. She's in a special maternity COVID ward, and they're all separate, and we're trying to reach out to them, and we know that they're laying there alone, and you have to ask yourself, God, what's going on? But in those times of difficulty, we can discover deity because Jesus Christ is in the midst of our storms. I think of the disciples as they walked on the sea, or didn't walk on the sea, Jesus was walking on the sea, as they were traveling across the sea in that boat, and they see Jesus coming out of the storm, and one of them cries out, he's a ghost, and it's their worst nightmare, and instead it becomes their confrontation with the deity of Christ. Uh, Jesus Christ revealed himself, and what was trouble became triumph, and they saw Jesus for who he really was because they saw God in this, the, 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 the dilemma, in the time of storm. God wants us to do the same thing. Joshua, he went from uh, being in this dilemma to, to making a great discover, discovery. He discovered Jesus Christ. Now, we know that this was a theophany, an Old Testament appearance of God. Uh, How do we know that? Because Joshua falls down at this uh, captain of the Lord's host's feet, and uh, if it were an angel, he would have refused him, because angels don't accept worship of men. And yet he did not, 
And Joshua recognized him that he was indeed the Lord. And Joshua said, I'm just going to obey you. He discovered deity. We see the example of uh, uh, the disciples as well. When uh, they went up on the Mount of Transfiguration, Matthew chapter 17, and Jesus was transfigured before them. His face did shine as the sun. You remember that story. And they, they saw a man when they went up the mountain, but when they came down, they knew he was God. And God wants us to have those encounters with Jesus Christ, and they usually happen in darkness. We discover deity in darkness. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I love that. You want to see the glory of God in your trouble? You want to see God break through like the sun breaks through these clouds and the thunderstorms out here? You want to see God break through? You're going to see that in the face of Jesus Christ. You need to get alone and discover deity in your dilemma. You need to see God in your troubles. That's what Joshua did. He recognized that this was no ordinary warrior. This was, in fact, the captain of the Lord's host. He said, Are thou for us or for our adversaries? Verse 14, this silent warrior said, Nay, but as captain of the Lord's host am I now come. Jesus Christ is there in our trouble. John 12, 32, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Isaiah 45, 22, look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. God wants us to look through the clouds and the darkness and the despair, and he wants us to see the hope that he has prepared for us, and he wants us to see the face of Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.27 puts it this way, it's Christ in us, the hope of glory. Aren't you thankful for that? O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Well, as Joshua began to see who he was really dealing with, as he discovered deity, we see that he also discovered his duty. His duty to follow and not to fret. His duty uh, to formulate direction under the guidance of God Almighty, Jehovah Almighty, not foment divisions. And and Joshua stopped thinking about who was on whose side and uh, whether God was on Joshua's side. And he began to realize, I have a duty to be on God's side. I have a duty to follow Christ. God's called us to a life of following. Many times, though, we get ahead of God and we expect God to bless our plans. How many of you have had plans in the last two years that just haven't come about? How many of you had other plans? And God just set all of that aside. People are calling it the lost year, aren't they? But God wanted to to use that in your life and in mine. It's not that there wasn't a plan. God reigns, but Our plans got set aside, and God's plans were put in place. And I don't yet see all that God has done. How many of you understand what's just happened? I don't. But I know that God has a plan, and I know it's my job to follow Him. And I know that if I will follow Him, that He'll bring me through. That's what Paul understood. He said, look, it's not really even me that's living 
it's Christ. Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. His whole life was wrapped up in following Jesus Christ. In Mongolia, they take uh, little children, little boys, and they dedicate them to the temple. Little boys, four or five years old, they shave their heads, they put the orange robes on them, they send them off, and their family doesn't ever see them again uh, while they're in this time of training. And they grow up like that. And, and it's, they're called a shiv. And, and a shiv, he, he doesn't do anything that his teacher doesn't do. His teacher tells him when to eat. His teacher gives him his food. His teacher tells him what to memorize, uh, the mantras and the different books. Uh, and as he becomes a monk, he just follows everything that his teacher is doing. And sometimes I am grieved over the fact that uh, they're willing to follow a false teacher, a dead god, somebody named Buddha, but Christians today aren't willing to follow the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the Son of God. And he's asking us today to be like those little boys and stop with our own plans and stop questioning everything he asks us to do and just follow him. So what Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. By the way, that didn't mean wear a cross around your neck. It didn't mean take the sign of the cross. I have uh, someone I know that got a tattoo of the cross. I feel very proud of that. See, I'm identifying with Christ. That's not what Jesus meant. Jesus meant take up an instrument of torture and death and drag it away to your own crucifixion. That's what Jesus was saying. Uh, that's why Jesus, in the end, didn't have all that many followers because they didn't like his gospel. That gospel is one of death so that we can have life. And what is that new life? It's Christ in us. Well, I can't see my way through this dilemma. It's Christ in you. I can't find my way and direction. It's Christ in you. I can't overcome these dangers. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Joshua discovered deity, but in discovering deity, he also discovered duty. You remember the charge of the light brigade and that poem where the, 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 the line that's so often quoted is, ours is not to question why, ours is but to do or die. That attitude is missing among Christians today, in my opinion. It's missing in my own life too many times. And Jesus Christ, as He shows Himself to us in our time of dilemma, he, He's calling us to our duty to follow Him. Romans 12, 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you, and I just remember the word, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Are you living as a sacrifice to God? That's your duty. It goes on to say it's your reasonable service. It's reasonable for God to expect that of you and me. And so what is it that God wants you to sacrifice? What is it that you need to lay aside, as it says in Hebrews chapter 12? What is it that, that is entangling you, uh, that you need to set aside so that you can please Him who has called you to be a soldier, as it says in 2 Timothy chapter 2. God wants us to see that we have a duty to Him. And Joshua recognized that. He came and he worshipped at the feet of deity. And he said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? 
Are you in a dilemma of danger, a dilemma of decision, a dilemma of, of, of division? Then come and fall at the feet of Jesus Christ and say, you know what, I don't have to have all the answers. I don't have to know the way to go. I don't have to protect myself. All I need to do is serve Him. What saith my Lord unto His servant? He discovered deity. He discovered His duty. He also discovered a defense. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. Exodus 15, 3 says, The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is His name. This is the God of the universe that we're, we're following. And so when we give everything to God, the dilemma goes away because we're just following Him. It's His problem. David said, The battle's the Lord's. Remember that? His brothers mocked him. The people around him shivered in fear. How did David, this uh, scrawny teenager, go out with a sling and, and some stones and a shepherd's staff to face the foremost warrior of his day? How did he do that? Because he understood something, that he was just the servant, that he was just following. Joshua wasn't the captain anymore. He had given it all to the captain of the Lord's host. And God wants you and me to do that today. If we can discover God in our troubles, and if we can't discover our duty to God in those dilemmas, then God will give us a defense that is insurmountable. We need not fear the enemy. Listen to this from Psalm 46. This has been a real blessing to our church in the past year. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore will we not fear, though the earth be removed. And though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, Selah. Think about that. If we have our feet planted upon the solid rock of God's promises this morning, then we need not fear the danger or the difficulty or the decisions or the divisions or the dilemmas that we might find ourselves in. But rather we can trust to God when we do our duty God does His, and He gets the glory. That's God's will for our life. Psalm 84, 11, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will He withhold from them that walk uprightly. Do you believe that this morning? Then hide yourself in that truth. Find the deity that's in the storm, in the dilemma, and make him your defense. That's God's desire. Listen to this from Psalm 45. I love these passages. Thou art fairer than the children of men. Speaking of Jesus Christ, grace is poured into thy lips. Therefore God hath blessed thee forever. Gird thy sword upon thy thigh, O most mighty, with thy glory and thy majesty, and in thy majesty ride prosperously because of truth and meekness and righteousness. Thy right hand shall teach thee terrible things. Thine arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies, whereby the people fall under thee. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. Thou lovest righteousness and hatest wickedness. Therefore, God, thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. Do you see Christ in your difficulty this morning? And can you ride with him because he's riding to victory? And we just have to watch the sword of his mouth destroy all the enemies that have opposed God and bring about that protection and that victory that we're longing for. Joshua, when he fell at the feet of deity here, and, and he said, What saith my Lord unto thy servant? Uh, it says in verse 15 that the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot. 
for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And I like this simple phrase at the end, and Joshua did so. If God tells you to do something this morning, won't you be like Joshua and say, okay, God, I'll do it. Now, what, why did God say, take off your shoes? In Mongolia, when you go into someone's home, you take off your shoes, but it's out of respect and to keep their home clean. Is that what God was saying? Well, not exactly. Remember, God said the same thing to Moses. Moses had a similar experience, didn't he? Here he was on the backside of the desert. He was in his dilemma. He didn't know how he was going to do what he was born to do. And then he sees this bush that will not be burnt. And he goes aside and he has this encounter with deity. And God says to Moses, take off your shoes because this place is a holy place. What is God saying to Joshua here? Well, we understand the custom of that time. That when a person could not fulfill their responsibilities... They would take off their shoes and they would give them to another. That's what happened in Ruth, you remember? Boaz came and he found the closest of kin to Ruth. And he said, uh, now you're going to have to, if you redeem the land, you're going to have to redeem the bride as well. And the man said, I can't do that. I already have a family. I'll spoil my inheritance. And so as a token of his inability to redeem them, he took off a shoe and handed it to Boaz. And Boaz received it because he was going to be the one to bring it on. I believe that's what God is saying here to Joshua. Okay, Joshua, you can't do this. You can't take Jericho. You can't lead this people. But take off your shoes. This is a holy moment. I'll lead the people. I'll be the captain of the host. I'll be, bring victory out of defeat. And Joshua did so. Praise God. I want us just to see a couple more things about this, and then we'll be done. First of all, what was Joshua's decision here? First of all, it was a decision of devotion. A decision of devotion. Joshua got into this place of worship and devoted himself completely to God. And we have devotions. I hope we have devotions every day. Uh, I'll be honest, sometimes I, I miss, and that's wrong. We're so busy serving God that we don't spend time with Him. And that's evil, and that's wrong. But when we have devotions, what are we doing? Uh, we are dedicating that time and dedicating our lives to God. That's what Joshua was doing. He was worshiping deity. He was worshiping God. God wants us to worship Him as well. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit. We understand that but also in truth. In Mongolia, to worship, they do all manner of physical things. Uh, you pay a priest to read a mantra, or uh, you pay to burn some incense, or you may uh, walk around a prayer wheel and turn that prayer wheel. Uh, God says, I don't want you to worship me in that way. I want you to worship me in spirit, but I want you to also worship me in truth. Let me ask you a question. When you get along with God, are you honest with Him? Do you truly worship Him? God wants you to do that. And that involves giving ourselves 100% to God. How many times are we like Ananias and Sapphira and we say, oh, we've given it all and we really kept back a portion? How many times are we deceiving God and lying to the Holy Spirit? By the way, it doesn't work. But we're saying, God, I'm all in for you. And God knows that we're still keeping some things locked up in the cupboard. And God says, you're not being true. You're not really worshiping me. I believe Joshua gave it all. When he took his shoes off and said, God, look, I can't take care of this. You take over. It was a decision of devotion. The Bible says, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and Him only shalt thou serve. So many times we're divided in our affections, aren't we? Devotion. 
a decision of devotion. Maybe that's God's desire for you this morning or for me. The Bible says we're to give unto the Lord the glory due unto His name. God didn't want Joshua to be seen as this great Savior. By the way, he is a type of Christ in the Old Testament, and his name does mean Savior, but the Savior was really the one who was leading Joshua, wasn't it? We have the mark of Christ on us. That's why we're called Christians. But God doesn't want people to point to us and say, look at how good they are. They want to see us as just a small reflection of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And when we get that mindset, we truly commit ourselves and devote ourselves to God, God's able to work. God's able to help. God's able to do miracles. We know as we read on that Joshua, through supernatural means, saw the walls of Jericho fall down flat. You can find those walls today if you go to the Holy Land. Uh, for years, people mocked God. They said, uh, now, <clears throat> we don't find the walls anywhere laying on the ground. And so when it says that they fell down flat. We think the Bible's telling, telling a lie. No, they didn't fall down flat like this. They fell down flat like this. And they went right up into the city and took the city. How did they do that? Because God worked. Because God did something supernatural. But we must dedicate ourselves completely to Him. Secondly, I think this was a decision of dependence. We, we make much of our declaration of independence right and uh, teenagers want their independence and by the way us older people like it too right but God actually wants us to be dependent on him maybe this morning you need to like Joshua make a declaration of dependence upon Jesus Christ and say God I can't take care of this here I'm going to take off my shoes and I'm going to give them to you you're going to have to fill my shoes you're going to have to do something that is just beyond my Ability or control, if you'll do that, if you'll decide to be dependent upon God, God will bring you through. Psalm 37, 7, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Fret not thyself because of Him who prospers in His way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Some of us are fretting over Biden or some other political character. Some of us are fretting over Fauci and whatever he's done or whatever he's decided. Some of us are fretting over this person or over that person. And you know what? God doesn't want us to fret men. God wants us to trust in the Lord. God wants us to rest in the Lord. God wants us to wait patiently for Him. He wants us to be dependent upon Him. One of the things that's disturbed me and I'm seeing this in Mongolia, so many people are dependent on so many things. We have people in our church who are depending on a vaccine. Oh, that's going to say, you know what? We've got so many sick people who've taken a vaccine there. And then we have other people who are depending on their own remedies and their own wisdom. I'm not going to take the vaccine. And they're depending on themselves. And listen, all of that is wrong. We are depending on Jesus Christ. We make the best decision we can, but once we have depended upon Him, our times are in His hand, and God will bring us through. That's what Joshua learned. It was a decision of dependence upon the Lord. Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. This is the victory that overcometh the world. We could change that to anything, any dilemma, any difficulty. This is the victory that overcomes my problem even our faith. So we see Joshua, after he made these discoveries, he, he also made a decision of devotion. 
a decision of dependence. And, and I want to say he made a decision of destiny that day. Don't you see, he didn't know what was going to happen, but we have the benefit of being able to read what happens in the rest of the book. Joshua saw great victory. Joshua saw great blessing. Joshua saw promises possessed because he made a fateful decision to trust in the Lord. I don't know where you're at this morning, what dilemma you're facing. But if you'll make the same decisions here that Joshua made, it will set your destiny. It will bring glory. It will bring deliverance. Just real quickly, I see that if we'll make these decisions of devotion and dependence upon God, first of all, it'll bring salvation. I don't know if you're here this morning and perhaps not saved. It's easy to get religious without having a relationship with Jesus Christ. But once we finally recognize that we're sinners and that He's the Savior, we kneel at the cross and we devote ourselves to Him and we place our complete dependence upon Him. That's what we call faith. And say, God, I'm a sinner and I deserve hell, but I know that Jesus is the Savior and He purchased heaven. And so I'm placing my faith and trust in Him. Won't you save me? It'll bring salvation, dear friend. It's as simple as that. I'll tell you, it's not easy. Any more than it was easy for Joshua to let go when he gave the captain of the Lord's host, when he gave Jesus Christ his shoes and said, look, I can't even fill my own shoes. You're going to have to do this. It's not easy, but it's simple. It's not complicated. If you can set aside your pride, and I've known dear ladies or men that have looked saved for years, and inwardly they've been torn and how can I go forward? How can I talk with pastor? How can I make that decision? Everyone's going to think I'm a fraud. Listen, don't put it off. You can't, you can't stand before Almighty God without Jesus Christ covering you. But if you'll place your faith and trust in Him, it'll bring salvation. Secondly, it'll bring sanctification. Maybe you're here this morning, you're saved, but you, you may be a Christian, but not a very good one. Other people don't see it, but in those quiet moments at night, when you pillow your head, your heart is discouraged because you are continually defeated by that, that sin that nobody else knows about. Listen, today's the day. Like Joshua did, fall at the feet of Jesus Christ. You're in that dilemma. How do I overcome this? You can't. Come to the altar and cry out to Jesus Christ, and He'll bring sanctification in your life. How about service? You want an amazing life? And you do what Joshua did and say, God, I can't do this. I don't even know what I'm supposed to do with my life. But I just devote myself to you. I completely depend upon you. And if you'll do that, God will change your life. And you'll find yourself doing things like, maybe you'll come join us in Mongolia. Who knows? You'll find yourself doing things that you never imagined possible. An amazing life of service. Because you trust Him. But think of the Apostle Paul. It's not always easy... Uh, he had this thorn in the flesh. We know the story. And he prayed three times and God said, no, I'm not going to take that thorn away. Instead, I'm going to make my strength perfect in your weakness. And you know what Paul said? That's going to be my proudest part. That's going to be the thing I glory in. That's going to be the thing I tell everybody about. The thing that I was worried about, the thing that the dilemma in my life has now become glory. How? Because when I am weak, then I'm strong. 
God will fit you for service if you'll do like Joshua and you'll come and fall to his feet. And then lastly, splendor. Listen to this verse and I'll conclude. Romans 8, 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. If we'll do what Joshua did, if we'll follow the captain of our salvation, if we'll let him win the victories through us, if we'll find our salvation and sanctification and service in Christ, then one day he's promised splendor. And I'm looking forward to that day. I think it's coming soon. In conclusion, Joshua got up his, off his face that day a changed man. And if you need to have that encounter with deity, with God this morning, you can get up off your face as well, a changed man or woman, boy or girl. He was no longer worried about whose side everyone was on. He just worried about whose side he was on. He said, God, I don't know about all of this, but I'm on your side. And are there some folks here this morning who, along with me, perhaps you've made this decision before, but rededicate yourself to God. Say, God, I'm on your side, and I'm going to follow the captain of the Lord, so Jesus Christ. Let's bow for prayer. Pastor Hovey's going to come and conclude the service here shortly, but I, I really think that we could boil the message that God has first preached to me and then I hope has preached through me down to two different points, and that is, first of all, we need to devote ourselves to Jesus Christ. Listen, this world is passing away. We've seen recently how easily the health system or the financial system or, or all the things that we thought were solid and steady can be completely changed and taken away. The only thing in this world that is immovable, unshakable, and worthy of our trust and devotion is Jesus Christ. Won't you renew that devotion to Him? And if you will, it'll bring joy. It'll put a spring in your step. I'm not saying it'll be easy, but I am saying that it's doable with Jesus Christ. Maybe this morning you need to devote yourself anew to Him. Or maybe there's some area in your life you need to place your dependence upon Him, maybe for salvation. If that's the case, please don't wait. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the hour. Come to Christ. But for those of us who have made that decision already, we every day need to depend upon Jesus Christ. When you wake up in the morning, you get out of bed, you must say, God, today, I'm not going to live independent of Christ. I'm going to be dependent upon Him. He will be my mouth. He will be my thoughts. He will be my heart. He will be my actions. I will live Christ today. If you'll live in that way, then you'll experience the victory and the glory that Joshua and Gideon and the disciples and the Apostle Paul and all of these examples in Scripture did. I believe that these are the two areas that God is dealing with our heart concerning this morning. And I'm just asking you, won't you do like Joshua and do so? Whatever God's saying to you, just do it and trust in Him. Pastor Hubby.